Okay. We're live. Here at their very first uh, session of uh, two drop tables here in Victoria, British Columbia. Take a Canadian perspective to uh, to IT security and uh, cybersecurity. Actually, they're both the same term. <laughs> so I hear that I hear the same term over and over again. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's not beat around the bush too much. So let's get this started. Mark. I'm Mark Speed. I'm. Uh lead consultant at Dogwood Technical Solutions, and I also work for the BC Provincial Government. And uh, my name is Dom here, uh, the lead host of this show, and uh, I also work for the Provincial Government Ministry of Transportation, to be exact. Over to you, John. I'm John, uh, another Provincial Government employee, Ministry of Technology. Bunch of government employees. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of government slackers here. <laughs> This isn't work hours, we swear. It's clear yeah, this is exactly. outside of work hours. <laughs> and we're not, we're not wasting anybody's tax dollars here. So, so There's been a lot of talk about uh, the uh, ransomware, the WannaCry, that's been making its rounds of, uh, you got to be careful. Luckily, Canada, except for the University of Montreal, hasn't been uh, largely hit. So now that uh, they're coming up with uh, decryption methods, decryption tools that uh, are more or less... Uh, you know, the reliability is questionable, but uh, so always patch your systems. Uh, that's the first thing I can't, I can't stress this enough. You need to patch your systems. So uh, especially if uh, you have Windows, you should be patching that every day or uh, every, every, every day, every day, every day. It's Windows. Every patch Tuesday. That's every patch Tuesday. Exactly. I think too, Microsoft has been telling people for a long time to disable SMB version one. Some people may not be able to do that, but if you have legacy, particularly the legacy stuff, Windows XP 2000, you should be turning that stuff off. Yeah, absolutely. If, if those devices don't need to hit file shares, then turn it off. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. Always got to be just got just turn it off. You don't, if, and that goes for anything. I mean, uh, when you're, and it's not just a, uh, specific to WannaCry, but it's, it's out there. Like if you're, if you got uh, applications running that you never use, or you got, if you got uh, something, then, uh, then yeah, just either turn it off or patch it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the key, right? You have all these services on a, on a windows box when it starts up and everything's running and everything's making noise. And it's no, WannaCry is no different than so many of these other malwares that, uh, that come out is they're exploiting something that should probably not be enabled on any of these and half these things aren't even patched. I mean, Microsoft's had this out since March, the patch for it. So it's, uh, you know, it's been a few months and they've known about it for a while. Um, the NSA has had it. So it's probably not the best thing either when governments, uh, nations start, uh, hoarding these worms, viruses. No. That's definitely a good point. You got to think that if a nation state has particularly remote code execution vulnerabilities, you know, I'm sure they want to use them on their targets, but other people are probably using them as well. And it would benefit the internet community as a whole if they just told the vendor quietly with responsible disclosure, hey, this is happening, so they can fix it. If they're using it, everyone else is going to use it. And if you look at the leaks that came out with these tools, they had wikis to make them really easy to use and really easy for all their staff to understand how to use them and all these prepackaged tools and they were just deadly when they got out it wasn't just this is a vulnerability and maybe even this is a vulnerability here's a poc it was packaged 
here's a vulnerability thing, just run this, and then here's a Trojan backdoor dropper to throw in afterwards. Yeah, and it's that's the other thing too. It's Even if you have a vulnerability out there, I mean, how easy is it to exploit? If they're already made tools, basically that uh, vulnerability is uh, is a major issue because it's a... Uh, anybody can do it you know you're gonna have your script kitty out there who's gonna or some teenager who wants to be you know want to be hacker who wants to uh break into some like whatever network he chooses to the school network and uh, is going to use that uh some pre-practiced software so uh otherwise uh, probably wouldn't know how to do it it'll take him a long time to learn it if you look at some of the diagnosis of people who have looking at WannaCry, it's not sophisticated it's not trying to evade uh, VMs. However, they think that the kill switch may have been a really poor attempt at VM avoidance. Uh, it's not obfuscating any of the strings. That's how they knew it was connecting to that URL and other stuff that it was doing. It looks like it's copied tools that other people have used, um, like that group, I forget the name now, that, uh, that hacks Sony. Or it's the same people. One yeah, they're two. saying it was uh, North Korea that uh, that did that. And uh, the question is, is, is uh, like who actually did it? it? You know, there is, again, evidence of North Korea, but they've done it in such a way that, yeah, it wasn't very sophisticated. All they did was just backpedal off of uh, NSA's code, uh, add some, uh, add an encryptor to it. And uh, they have their guess, boom, they have, uh, they have ready-made uh, uh, crypto ransomware. So... And that's a, that's a huge issue there as well. Like with, uh, uh, should, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's good to know of these vulnerabilities existence and we need to know that, uh, we need to know that these vulnerabilities exist. Uh, hoarding vulnerabilities isn't a great, isn't a good idea at all because it's, you know, if it, what happened with the shadow brokers leak, they're still leaking stuff from the NSA. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very big issue. Some, some dangerous ones too, um, you know, and you want to go back to the link there. Uh, they also said, you know, it was really sloppy and maybe that was done intentionally. So it didn't look like it was a nation state. Um, they don't really know, but they're just finding chunks of common code from both, from the Lazarus group that did the Sony one and this. So they're starting to find some links and trying to put it together and investigate a bit more, but it might have been done on purpose. You don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like, uh, what was it? Um... I think it was a Shadow Brokers, uh, the uh, text file that came out the very first leak. Uh, it's as if somebody tried to um, emulate a uh, Russian accent on the uh, the document itself. But uh, that's not how people write. People people don't write like they talk. They will talk one way because they're because of the way they've grown up with and language patterns that they've grown up with. Or but when it comes to writing, it's it's pretty. It's a lot more uh, black and white. You see, either have they really bad English or they have really good English. And if if their okay English is okay, uh, even if they have an accent, it's not going to project onto their writing. So um, it's really hard to tell who did some of these things. Like absolutely. If you look at the DNC uh, email leaks as well, it's like, oh, it's Russians because of this. And it's like, oh, you know, it's, that evidence is so tenuous at best. Like, I just can't. It may be, it may not be, but that there's nothing, there's no there there <laughs> to, to quote the It's really hard American to pinpoint, right? Really hard to exactly. pinpoint who, who doesn't. I mean, I guess the biggest question is, is, it can be deadly like you know they did you know security researcher got lucky or whatever found a kill switch great but look what it infects you know hospitals you know 
surgeries postponed, all sorts of like real life implications. Um, it's not just, you know, systems and files going missing and money and all this stuff, you know, it's starting to be a bigger deal now. You're starting to fail healthcare and stuff. So it's very important when, you know, you go into these hospitals and I was in Vic General in December and, and saw these Windows XP machines sitting in the hallway, whether they're air gapped or not, it doesn't really matter. They're there, they can be exploited. Uh, no one's really paying attention. So it's really important that uh, IT is definitely, and IT security is definitely raised up as a bigger issue and gets the budget it deserves. And it should, especially in hospitals, because I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, uh, so many Windows XP machines that's of, uh, that space essentially uh, open to the public. Uh, anybody from the public can just walk in and all of a sudden they can just go in there or do whatever they want, want to do. And, uh, or um, they could actually, uh, uh, if it's even air gap, they can just uh, put in a USB stick. And if they're malicious, they put in a USB stick and go put in their own version of uh, WannaCry or a version of ransomware and uh, infect those machines. And it turns out those machines could be something that uh, uh, that uh, they, they really need. So it is probably, I would advise them to uh, either replace Windows XP at the earliest opportunity or they find a way to patch them if they uh, if they can. But uh, considering Microsoft doesn't support them anymore, Windows XP machines, then it's difficult to. If you look at um, WannaCry, like those people aren't bringing in their laptop to another network to use it and infect that network. That laptop, tablet, whatever it is, computer, it's useless. Mm-hmm. So it's not spreading as bad as it could. If you look at these exact same tools are being used by a crypto miner to mine cryptocurrency using victim machines and send the money back to the virus writer. You might not know that that's happening. So you're bringing that machine. It's a work computer. You got it infected at home. You're, you bring that into work. Now you've infected all the work computers, all the work servers, everything. And no one knows until people start thinking, oh, this is running a little slow. So... You know, something like a crypto locker is obviously devastating because it brings something like a hospital to its knees right away. But, you know, it's not. These tools are still being used by other people and spreading a lot further. And there's no guarantee that there's any decryption. Like, I haven't read anything saying, you know, files are being decrypted or anything like that yet. Are people willing to say they paid the ransom, though? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Like... Like, like you have say they always say okay maybe 12 percent of people are paying the ransom but is that true because other people are going we're just going to pay the ransom and not talk about it ever again and the attackers could be putting their own money from other bitcoin wallets into the bitcoin addresses they're sending out so they can point at it and say look look 16 people have paid the ransom well they you know they say oh 65,000 is kind of the guesstimate now but and i'm sure you can track where the Bitcoin is coming from, but you don't know who owns it. So you're exactly right, Mark. It's, I mean, it could be coming from them. Like, you don't know who it is or anything like that. So did people pay? Who knows if people paid? Anyone said that files are being encrypted or even been encrypted? Who knows? I got a little smile on my face when he said I was exactly right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear that very often. Yeah, the, uh... <laughs> every once in a while, every once in a while. Once right? in a while, once in a while, yeah. So before we move to another topic, what can we think of is you know the top four or five things that smaller organizations that don't have large IT staff although hospitals should 
and probably should have known better. But what can people do to stop themselves becoming a victim of something like WannaCry or not a crypto locker or some, something else in the future? Like, what should people be doing that they're not doing? I mean, I, I think the biggest, for me personally, I think in the number one thing is patch. Patch your systems. I mean, Microsoft doesn't even support Windows XP, and they put out a patch for this one. That's how serious it was. Um, and if everyone was patched or had moved to the latest version, uh, you know, a lot of people complain, like, oh, they forced us to upgrade. And sometimes there's good reason for that. So I think that's probably the number one thing is, you know, patch your systems, or if you can move to a newer version of your operating system, do that as well. Yeah. Setting up uh, Microsoft's WSS is not difficult, and it's free. And for those with uh, air gap systems, uh, I mean, it should be easy to patch. You have a clean USB stick. You just put the... Uh, the patch on there and uh, install it and restart it uh, when the computer uh, isn't in use. So, and also uh, I would recommend, if possible, uh, is to uh, replace the Windows XP. Uh, that would be a huge one because uh, then to replace it with, say, Windows Windows uh, 8 or Windows 10, if you have to use a Microsoft product, or in my view, I'd probably try to use a Linux system if uh, if that's uh, doable. But uh, in many businesses, uh, they're you know it's all they all seem to be uh, Microsoft based. So, but I find that uh, smaller businesses tend to be a lot more nimble when it comes to uh, replacing you know changing their systems and so on. So, if you're a smaller medium sized business, my recommendation is to go with a with a more up to date operating system. I think too one thing that systems admins and all these companies should look at doing is disabling services that they don't need. And particularly, Microsoft have been saying, disable SMB v1. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, yeah, can't, that's the other thing, too. If uh, you're using SMB v1, yeah, disable it. If you're uh, the other thing, too, uh, disable SMB uh, entirely if you don't need it. If it's not required for your system or for, for connecting to the network, if you're using a different uh, third party application to access uh, files on your network, disable SMB v1. If you're not doing shared file yeah, and print, exactly. if you're using something like Confluence or SharePoint or whatever to store your, store your documents that you're sharing between your team to collaborate, maybe you don't need SMB open. There's probably lots of people who don't. And uh, I know in some places that uh, they use uh, different protocols and, and that they use... Uh, I even, even I know of one organization that uses still uses Novell, which is scary i'm i walk into the office of this place and uh i'm not going to mention names here but one i uh, walked in there and i was like the first thing that came to my mind when i walked into this office was i could have a huge field day with this every computer was open for anybody to go into and just do what they want the screens weren't locked the uh the the all the files were open and I could just see everything. And the other, they're using Novell. Like, wow, I've never seen Novell being used uh, for like 10 years now. That so. might be safe now because I don't think anyone would know yeah, what exactly. to do with that if they saw it. Yeah, it's uh, so old that uh, people forget about it. And that's the other thing I've noticed about um, malicious hackers. They always target, well, not always, but... Uh, I would say about 70, 70-80% of the time, it's always Microsoft Windows that's uh, been targeted because it has the biggest share of the market. So one thing we'll do is put links to 
um, the, the key recovery tool, um, and other WannaCry information in the show notes and put it on a website. On to the next one. So Poison Tap uh, is essentially a Raspberry Pi Zero that's uh, been converted by Sammy Camcar. It's basically a uh, beefier version of rubber, like a USB rubber ducky or a Bash Bunny. Uh, it's very similar, but uh, be a lot cheaper than a Bash Bunny. Actually, you can just you can use a five dollar Raspberry Pi Zero. It uh, essentially uh, sniffs all the target coming from your computer. And uh, I believe it could be interfaced not just with USB, but can also be with Bluetooth as well. A lot of the newer ones, uh, newer Raspberry Pi Zeros, have Bluetooth capability. So that's something that, uh, you know, you could hide under the uh, workstation. You could easily hide this thing under somebody's uh, workstation or somebody's uh, in their bag or something. And uh... We should probably describe a bit more about what Poison Tap does. Uh, it's difficult because it does so much and uh, we'll link the youtube video in the show notes but you're watching it and your jaw is just open and like every three four minutes it gets a little further open in shock and awe like what this is able to do he's found and strung together piles of vulnerabilities um and basically what the poison tap does is uh emulates an ethernet adapter on your machine your machine can be locked you have to be logged in, but it can be locked. So you lock your machine thinking you're safe. You walk away. Someone plugs this into your USB port, and it emulates an Ethernet card. Tells your computer that it is on its local LAN every IPv4 address, 0000 to 255.255.255.255. So it'll send all traffic except for the 192 to 168 or whatever local network you're on to the Raspberry Pi. The second thing that it does is it sits and waits for a one of your open browser sessions to make an HTTP request, which is generally fairly easy because if you open up eight, 10 tabs, which normally I think people do, walk away from your computer, there's gonna be an ad Ajax hit or something on one of those pages. Uh, it intercepts that request, pretends to answer that request, and opens up one million iframes in your browser to the top one million Alexa-ranked websites and steals all of the cookie information and all of your login information, if you have it on your machine for all of those websites. Yeah, that's a so it, it points out a major kind of flaw in the machine in the machines. Um, they just implicitly trust anything that gets plugged in. Um, so that's kind of one of the glaring, obvious, you know, things here with uh, with Poison Tap is that you know you plug this in and all of a sudden it becomes the most important thing ever connected in, and <laughs> all your traffic goes through it, and your computer thinks it's just another Ethernet adapter, and there's no kind of prompt to say, hey, you plug this in, do you want to use it? Do you want it to become the primary adapter, et cetera, et cetera? Just, I'm going to use this because you plugged it in, which, you know, is a bit of a, a fatal flaw, I think, by the way, the trust mechanism. For sure. It's one of those things like email that when it was designed, it wasn't built with security in mind. Yeah, we exactly. thought of USB as, well, we're just going to plug in mice and keyboards. And even that with stuff like the USB rubber ducky we've seen isn't safe. If you don't want to plug this in and have it your keyboard, then you know there's no way to say no. 
And the, the question is, is that uh, could anybody be able to identify this device? You know, I can give somebody who doesn't know a thing or two about computers and uh, ask them to plug it in. And uh, I could tell them, I could mention it to them that uh, it'll help them to get on the network or it could be used as a, you know, it's just like, here's a hard drive, the victim, and they plug it in. And uh, you're a real creative hacker, you know, you can, uh, you can do a lot of damage with this device. So it not only is it like a local desktop, like OS problem, like trusting devices that are plugging it in, and this, and, and it is for all of the hacking tools, like the Bash Bunny, Raspberry Pis that are malicious, and um, USB rubber ducking, stuff like that. But in this particular case with Poison Tap, it's also the website's problem. If they were setting the secure cookie flag and using HSTS, it wouldn't be possible to steal the cookie HTTP in clear text. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is uh, I find that nobody knows what HSTS is. It's, uh, it's HTTP strict transfer um, uh, protocol. Basically, it, uh, it ensures the se uh, security of your connection um, so that you, this poison tap uh, won't uh, essentially to, to fight uh, to prevent uh, activities of the poison tap or uh, DNS uh, spoofing or uh, so on DNS spoofing basically we'll get into that uh, probably down the road uh, but I would uh, argue that uh, HSTS is probably one of the least understood or least known but the most important setting that anybody could put on there like I've had uh, some even a lot of security professionals still don't know what HSTS is and that to me is shocking. There's a lot of people not using it. Like exactly. one of the first people I noticed started using it uh, would be Facebook and Google because using like you know, trapping people's traffic with like um, evil rogue access points and stuff like that using stuff like the uh, pineapple. Um, you were at one point able to look at all their traffic and get all their logins from Facebook because you would man in the middle of that connection. With HSTS, that's not possible to maliciously man in the middle of that connection. You look at all this stuff too, and you know, all this server-side mitigation is um, easy Apache or Nginx configuration. Um, you know, HSTS is you, you add a header field named strict transport security and, and, and add your, add your bits. Um, you know, it stops against protocol downgrade Cookie hijacking, uh, all those things. You know, as you're on an HTTP TTPS connection and you're getting downgraded to HTTP. This prevents that kind of stuff, um, and all these kind of configurations. Any kind of easy Google search, you know, how to secure an Apache website, for example, is will bring all this stuff up and, and help. So it's it's twofold. You got to get you know the the, the uh, web server owner or admin to ensure they're pro providing the right security, and then also the user side as well, which seems to be all. Every kind of vulnerability is kind of twofold, you know. And that's the thing. I mean, I've seen I've seen um, preventative measures that that you know, and more or less, are not that hard to actually implement. But there is very little knowledge of it, and I'm actually surprised. I mean, the HSTS has been out for a long time now, and uh, see many from many organizations, from small to large, uh, still not use it, and it's still little understood. So are little known and uh that to me is shocking i'm i'm actually surprised that uh not even some vendors out there like security vendors out there really talk about it and i mean 
it could could be for many reasons that they, they have their own security products that they want to sell or they have their own uh, reasons for it. But it's it's actually shocking to me why uh, this actually has not been widely implemented. Yeah, it's just resourcing and probably understanding of, of what everything does. Um, you know, like anything, security always seems to be bolted on. We need to get the website up and running. It is after that's that's the, that's the thing, John. You're you're absolutely correct. Uh, this isn't something like secure development or security testing of code or yeah. all that stuff that takes a lot of time. Like John said, this is a simple setting. It is a very right? simple so setting. So why yeah. isn't NFL.com using it? Absolutely, and that's the thing. I look at it and go, okay, well, why why isn't is like this is a, such a simple simple setting in place and just not doing it. And, and, and uh, John alluded to earlier was that security, when he said it was security was bolted on, it's actually mean it's a, you know, it's an afterthought. Bolted on, it's an afterthought. Don't think about it in the development process. You don't think about it. Uh, they don't think about it. And because uh, one of the reasons is that they're trying to get something out to the market as quickly as possible. And then they realize, oh, it's vulnerable to all sorts of, uh, all sorts of, you know, it's vulnerable to all sorts of exploitation. And uh, that's how a lot of information gets out. Like that shouldn't be out there, like people's personal information. So, working in government, like we all do, it's somewhat unique a situation. We're never trying to be first to market, for the most point, and we have a greater focus on securing people's private information because they've given it to us, not to everybody. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, and we are also governed by laws like the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act that uh, every public body here in uh, at least in British Columbia has to follow. And uh, it's uh, it's not like uh, a business where they need to have a have a product out there as quickly as possible because there's a, there's there's the comp- competitive measure between uh, private private enterprises but uh, for governments it's uh, it's different governments don't necessarily have to uh, uh, have to have something out there as quickly as possible it just has to be more secure uh, the expectation in my mind should be more in security than uh, time to market so that people's pre- uh, pre- uh, sensitive and personal information isn't uh, compromised yeah, not to deviate too far, but uh, what it is, but like you said, you, even here, is we want to get something out, and if you have to do a security scan, a vulnerability scan, it adds time to a schedule, and, and if you don't understand it, you think, oh, no, we're fine, we're just getting it out, it's only for small users, but it's like once you're facing the internet, you're open to everybody, and you don't know how long it is or how when you've been attacked. It's like they always say the hackers have a better map of your network than you do. So once you're facing the, the public internet, it's, you, you're, you're at the mercy. Yep, exactly, and that's the thing. It's uh, I've seen it, uh, and but the thing is, there is a lot that like the enterprises can do about it, and uh, there is reputation. I mean, reputation is everything for a, for a business. Uh, I would argue it's probably it's more important than money because if uh, if a repu- if a business's reputation is poor, uh, people aren't going to trust them, and uh, they're going to lose money. So. That's not necessarily the case because people just don't pay attention. Like, has it harmed LinkedIn or Yahoo or anyone else when all their account information's got stolen? Yeah, good point there. But uh... they sort of hand wave it away like a Jedi and just <laughs> just keep doing dumb shit. 
Yeah, it's yeah, that's that's the unfortunate thing. I mean, I mean, now we're talking about cyber insurance. Like they're talking about uh, uh, cyber insurance. Uh, you know, how much do they should they have to pay for uh, insuring their systems in case of a breach? Should we move on to our uh, very favorite event uh, that's uh, coming up at the end of July? Uh, that uh, the three of us are going to. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, uh, it's called DEFCON, DEFCON 25 in Las Vegas. Uh, it will be at the Caesars Palace Hotel uh, from the from June 27th to the 30th. Or ju- correction, July. I think I've been drinking too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you haven't. We're just no, getting warmed up now. We're just getting warmed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And where's that waitress? I'm out of beer, actually. Yeah, exactly. Need to reload. <laughs> so, but um, the thing is, is that uh, DefCon DefCon 25, basically for July July 27th to July 30th. We're definitely looking forward to it. It's gonna be uh, one uh, basically big party with uh, hacker with hacker um, with uh, hacking talks and. Uh, and basically, if you're a nerd like me into the gadgets uh, you can buy at the fair there, um, I know I did when I was there in 2011. I actually bought myself a, a Yagi uh, 2.4 gigahertz uh, Cantenna, 50 bucks American. So what uh, is everyone bringing there as far as devices? And stuff? This is my first DEF CON. And I've heard horror stories. I don't know exactly what it's like. I'm going to leave my work device at home. Uh, What is everyone going to do? That's a smart move, Mark. Absolutely. You want to make sure you do not bring your work devices there. I know that that's a given. But just what is everyone? (laughs) It's pretty pretty much a given. So um, I would recommend that uh, one you bring, like I brought my laptop there, but the I never hooked up to the Wi-Fi. That's that's one of the key things. If you hooked up to the Wi-Fi, you're in trouble. That was it. I never hooked up to the Wi-Fi. I just sniffed it and tried to see if I can hack it myself, like everybody else is doing there. But these now I'm hearing you want to don't mind bring your cell phone because they have their own open uh, their fake towers up there. They're using an open BTS system to uh, if you instead of going to the to the proper tower, you're going into their tower, and you get pwned that way. So basically, what so, you're saying is nothing's safe. Pretty <laughs> bring much. Pen and, bring your pen and paper. Pretty yeah, much. So it takes some notes. I was thinking about just getting a burner and just yeah. connecting to, like, not my main accounts, not having it logged into my main Google account, just so I have, I have internet. I could do some texting with that burner yeah. to yeah, the wife other- or whatever, and... And that's the thing. I, I I've uh, never had to. I never went on the internet when I was there. Um, I just had uh, my laptop, and uh, I was there breaking shit. That's all I did was uh, was uh, going in there, learning learning the tips and tricks of. Uh, especially, I was really interested in the Wi-Fi stuff. I'm a ham radio operator, by the way, so uh, I'm a real wireless geek, and I'm really into the to the actual aspect, the wireless aspect of it. And I think in the next episode of this show, we're going to discuss it. But uh, discuss the aspect of hacking wireless, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, so on, so forth. Uh, what you can do, the tips and tricks of that. So, but the thing is, is uh, when I was there, I was in the wireless village. 
and I had set my computer down. I had uh, Vivek Ramachandran doing a presentation. He's actually the host of uh, Security Tube. Uh, he does a lot of Wi-Fi uh, hacking and uh, really good, really good. I had dinner with him after that, uh, him and uh, uh, Andrew King. I was going to say, I agree with Mark. You know, burn her phone. I'll probably bring my laptop, but I'll probably just wipe it before I go. Yeah, that's, that's wipe I it after. The- um, make sure everything's disconnected and just go from there. Uh, That's something else that I've heard. So I have uh, a small Windows 10 tablet that I dropped and broke the screen. I bought a new one. So that old one I might just wipe, not really put much on it, and just deal with a cracked screen for three days. Yeah. Or fix it between then and now. Another thing you can do is to uh, have an old laptop, which I'm thinking I'm going to bring. I have an old laptop here that I've had for six years most of mine are pretty heavy <laughs> well i got one of them in front of me right now so that i plan on bringing it's a it's a linux-based laptop and uh it uh has doesn't have much on it like i'm not uh, gonna put too much on it and and the reason is it's not just because of what uh, uh because of defcon but the border being in canada and the way the border situation is i don't want to put too much on there because uh uh, customs, you know, the American customs, I've been hearing stuff about them looking through your laptop, looking through your phone, and uh, they're going to take uh, whatever data they can off of it. Um, and, you know, it's happened to American citizens, even one one person working for NASA. So, so I think uh, I'll just bring this sucker, which I uh, don't have too much on, and it is a Linux laptop, and that's the other thing, too. You want to bring a Linux laptop, you don't want to... You don't want to necessarily bring too many Windows machines in there, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are, uh, they are, they they're big into Linux. What about the uh, after parties and stuff like that? Oh, they're great. Um, I've uh, gone into an after party where uh, um, I think it was they they were having big issues just before the DefCon in 2011. They were talking about uh, hacking voting machines. And the issue with it uh, is is that uh, you can screw around with the vote of any, so it basically affects uh, nothing short of a country's democracy. And uh, there, there was people screaming about uh, securing these. You need to secure these voting machines. They have to be secured. It was like you can't have them, uh, you can't have them un- unsecured and. Um, and uh, so I went to an after party uh, right after a uh, few talks at uh, the first day, and uh, I ended up going into uh, one of the rooms there at the Rio Hotel, and uh, they gave me this. Uh, uh, they just put a put a band over my wrist and uh, had a QR code on it, and I was going, "Oh, cool!" And uh, just uh, walking in there, partying with guys from New York, from uh, from New York, from. Uh, Los Angeles for wherever other parts of the states. I think it was a few guys from Virginia and so on and so forth. Oh yeah, it was great. Just a bunch of people in there, and uh, and then when I got home, I, I took I had the band. I just kept it for some reason. I just uh, kept it and had it in my bag. And then I got home and uh, decided, oh, I'll just uh, QR scan the QR code. Up comes a 178 page uh, an 178 page manual for the Diebold voting machine. <laughs> I had a PDF of it somewhere on my phone. On, on my phone right there. I can say, oh, I can just like study this manual and uh, have my, you know, have a field day with a voting machine. Didn't those have MS Access databases or something where the votes were? I think they did, yeah. And they were notoriously insecure back then. They were terrible. They were, they were, it was, it was, it, it could be devastating. 
if somebody decided to really, really spend time on it. So as far as like non-DEFCON activities go, I'm going to go shoot guns. <laughs> I think I'll do that too. I actually want to shoot some automatic fi- firearms and automatic rifles. And I think they had a Barrett 50 cal there. They did. You? They did. And it's really big and loud. Yeah. Yeah, that's typical of 50 cal. <laughs> it was the first time I, the second time I've shot a gun, the first time I've shot uh, any decent sized rifles. It was pretty awesome. We shot a whole bunch of stuff and then uh, bought the uh, World War II package, which uh, was neat. So nice. Some shooting like, you know, old Russian uh, rifles and uh, the Tommy gun, the 1911. It yeah, pretty, it's, it's pretty uh, fun. Yeah, I fired a, I fired a lot of guns uh, when I, I used to be in the military, so I, I'm uh, pretty comfortable around firearms. All right, so wrap this show up and... Uh, Thank you, everyone, very much for uh, everyone listening to our very first show. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot more of these, so uh, stay tuned. And uh, have a great night, and uh, see you on the next episode.